Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, We are an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class, uh, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for an elite few. Um, Our members come from different backgrounds, but we all share one goal, and that is to build a different world. A better world. Uh, We're your hosts for today. I'm CJ Bones. And I'm Alfred Peeler. We're changing things up on Renegade Paradise tonight. And Bones and I are going to have a conversation about this new wave of abortion legislation that is sweeping across the country. When we're living in the White House and debating on the Hill of all your crazy antics We'll all have had our fill We'll be closing down munitions plants And old glory will be furled Cause we don't want your big machines We just want the world Alright, well let's get right to it Abortion rights are facing the single biggest threat Since Roe vs. Wade legalized abortion nationally in 1973 There's this series of so-called fetal heartbeat bills That are showing up in Republican legislatures across the country that represent a new attempt to strip the working class of the right to make their own decisions about their own bodies. As of this recording, in fact, Alabama has actually passed a law criminalizing all abortions with no exceptions even for rape. Ah, damn. Uh, Yep, and uh, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio, uh, I think, have all passed similar laws this year, joining the growing number of conservative state governments uh, mm-hmm. empowered by the uh, Republicans' judiciary strategy to force the issue all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, technically, a lot of these laws haven't taken effect yet. Right. Um, many of them are supposed to be uh, in all sorts of uh, legal limbo right now as they work their way through the courts. Um, we need to see the writing on the wall, and that writing is that these measures represent the newest and most alarming attempts to roll back the right to choose whether or not to terminate a pregnancy. Uh, This kind of bodily autonomy regarding reproductive health is a fundamental right for anyone with the ability to become pregnant. And as usual, the don't tread on me crowd has reacted by bringing the full force of big government to attack abortion rights. Because if you're looking for consistency, you're not going to find it from this bunch. (laughs) Right. And these new um, measures are indeed alarming, but I think it's important to see this as part of a longer term trend that's decades old. Um, attempting to roll back choice. Oh, yeah. So um, just looking at some of these numbers, between 2011 and 2015, um, there were over 231 distinct provisions introduced into state legislatures to restrict abortion access. Right as Brett Kavanaugh was being sworn into office, there were already 13 separate cases um, that could potentially pose challenges to Roe versus Wade that were already being heard in federal appeals courts. And that is just one step away. Sounds from fucking the great. Court. I love it. So on <laughs> April 24th, um, just a few weeks ago, after introducing similar legislation in five out of the past seven legislative years, the South Carolina House of Representatives finally passed its own bill, banning abortions after a doctor, after a doctor can detect a heartbeat. The bill is going to move on to the Senate next year, um, so we'll have a fight on our hands when the Senate opens up in 2020. And I think uh, Governor McMaster has already pledged to uh, uh, sign it, right? Yep, he's already said that he will sign it as soon as it gets to his (sighs) desk, so really the challenge is blocking it in the the Senate. Yeah. Luckily, this hasn't gone unnoticed, right? And so on Tuesday, May 21st, there was a nationwide Stop the Bans march that was enacted all across the country from coast to coast, all the way up to the steps of the Supreme Court. Even here in Charleston, the hundreds of folks showed up to protest in Brittle Bank Park as part of the nationwide Stop the Bans march. Charleston DSA was there participating in these protests. Are yeah, we- I remember uh, I remember the turnout being pretty massive. Um, hadn't seen a, a crowd that big in Brittlebank since the uh, Women's March uh, in 2016. Um, a number of activists were there uh, from uh, other groups in town. Uh, Charleston Activist Network was there. Um, it was really cool to see that amount of turnout, um, even down here in the middle of the Bible Belt. Right. And so we wanted to take Uh, this opportunity to do a couple of things with today's episode. So in our first segment, we're going to discuss the new wave of abortion restrictions 
and how they carry on this like longer forced birth tradition and what they look like here in South Carolina. We're also going to give some resources to listeners who'd like to give involved. In our second segment, we're going to provide a socialist analysis of abortion rights for anybody out there who might be wondering how do abortion rights show up for socialists. We're going, to highlight, we're going to highlight how these bills have nothing to do with protecting life, uh, but just use this language as cover for a class warfare that is aimed at removing bodily autonomy from workers and marginalized communities. And the last part, we're going to share some direct actions that our listeners could take to protect abortion rights, as South Carolina is no stranger to forced birth extremism. Um, that sounds awesome. I'm really looking forward to uh, tackling all this today. Um, before we go forward, I'd like to make a couple of points, um, yeah. if that's cool. Uh, criminalizing abortions won't actually end abortions, right. everybody. Uh, what it will do is it will make them increasingly unsafe for working class and marginalized communities. Uh, rich people are not going to stop fucking. <laughs> yeah. uh, and if they get pregnant, they have the resources to quietly choose whether or not to have a safe abortion. Yeah, those laws are for us, yeah. not for them. <laughs> yeah. uh, we know that abortion rates are similar uh, among countries whether uh, abortion access is legal or illegal, and those numbers are 3.4% to 3.7% respectively. Uh, we also know that 8 out of every 100 worldwide maternal deaths are the result of unsafe abortions. Uh, in the end, this Republican dream of overturning Roe versus Wade is not materially about respect for human life. Forced birth activism is a classist and sexist tool of the predatory capitalist class using misguided evangelical zeal as a weapon. Right. We'd also like to em emphasize that these abortion bans aren't tied to any increase in financial or social solvency for parents, children, or families. Um, and they're actually being perpetuated by the same neoliberal austerity regimes that are actively dismantling the scant remnants of the liberal welfare state as we know it. So, again, the only folks who are truly going to face any consequences of these abortion bans will be the working class um, and disproportionately members of marginalized communities. So a as we begin to be faced with a shrinking pool of resources combined with increasingly harsh penalties for those under the six-week ban, these financial costs and personal risk to obtain an abortion will inevitably skyrocket for those who can afford it the least. We need to call this what it is. It's class warfare. It's class warfare. Yep, absolutely. And so as just a point of fact, Charleston DSA does champion bodily autonomy as a critical component of an empowered working class and considers any attempt to deny a human being the right to make decisions about their own body as both an attack on individual rights and a calculated act of terrorism designed to keep the working class under the heel of the state. At Charleston DSA, we reject these so-called fetal heartbeat bills. We reject their regressive precursors we reject their disingenuous appropriation of religion to do the devil's work. Amen. We reject their refusal to understand human anatomy and biology. We reject being legally characterized merely as host bodies for clumps of cells that may or may not become a human being. We reject the prosecution of medical professionals who are doing their jobs to their patients. And we reject their desire to use our own reproductive capacities as a weapon against us. Right on. And we want to also emphasize that Charleston DSA is committed to sharing information and resources with our comrades to make empowered decisions, allowing them to make empowered decisions about their own reproductive options. But we also want to make clear that we are not interested in simply fighting to protect formal abortion rights, but we are interested in expanding what choice means. We want free abortions on demand without apology. Now, no matter what happens, as with every episode, our mission remains the same, to build a better world out of the ashes of the old, dedicated to protecting and empowering the working class. We're going to get through this, y'all. Here's to the radicals, the fighters, and the renegades. I'm Alfred Peeler. And I'm CJ Bones. And this is Renegade Paradise. Hell yeah, brother. Welcome back to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter 
of the Democratic Socialists of America. I'm C.J. Bones. And I'm Alfred Peeler. So let's dig into these bills a bit. And at the end of this section, we're going to provide a few resources for anybody who'd like to get involved. You want to start us off, Bones? Sure. Um, this year, four states, Kentucky, Georgia, Mississippi, and Ohio, uh, passed so-called six-week fetal heartbeat abortion bans, mm-hmm. uh, with a number of other states, including South Carolina, actively pursuing the same. These four states join another three, Arkansas, Iowa, and North Dakota, which already have passed fetal heartbeat bills. Uh, after all that, there's another 18 state legislatures that have heartbeat bill legislation already introduced in their respective state governments. Yeah, I was looking at where the model bills came from, and it looks like they were drafted by this woman, Janet Porter, who is the president and founder of faith to action um, This woman has made a political career campaigning against choice, campaigning against gay rights. She was a very loud voice in the birther movement um, when Gross. Obama got into office. Um, her organization actually helped push through the partial birth abortion ban uh, that was upheld by the Supreme Court. She also introduced the first heartbeat uh, ban back in 2011 in Ohio. So in 2019, three years after this electoral coup and last year's appointment of alleged rapist and demonstrable liar Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, their number has increased dramatically. Um, so on that note, North, uh, North Dakota was the first state to successfully enact a six-week ban Uh, Back in 2013, Iowa became the second in 2018. Um, The courts blocked both laws at the time for being unconstitutional, but that didn't stop forced birth extremists from stacking the courts and wasting taxpayer dollars continuing to produce these bills. Uh, Ever since then, the six-week bans have kept coming, and recently, power grabs by these self-appointed culture warriors have occurred in the following states. Um, Should we just list them out? Just, I think so. Just run through it. Okay. I think so. Uh, let's let's go through this fast. It's it's depressing to read. <laughs> right on. Alabama has passed the strictest abortion ban in the country, outlawing the procedure at any stage of the pregnancy, and allows an exception only when the patient's health is at risk. The measure contains no exception for rape or incest, and doctors who perform an abortion in the state after the law goes into effect will face prison sentences from 10 to 99 years. So that's fucking That's awful. Alabama. That's, yeah. Uh, Mississippi enacted a six-week ban set to become law in July of this year, but it's being challenged in court, so whether or not that actually happens is anyone's guess. Uh, the Mississippi ban states that physicians who perform abortions after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which, as we've talked about earlier, is about six weeks, Uh, could face revocation of their state medical licenses. Uh, It also says that abortions could be allowed after a fetal heartbeat is found if a pregnancy endangers a woman's life or one of her major bodily functions. Senators rejected an amendment that would have allowed exceptions for pregnancies caused by rape or incest. And what the fuck, Alabama and Mississippi? Uh, and Kentucky. Kentucky uh, enacted a six-week ban, but within days, a federal judge blocked it from taking effect. Um, Ohio has enacted a six-week ban, and unless blocked by a court, the law will take effect uh, again in July of this year. Uh, healthcare providers who violate the ban would face up to a year in prison and a $2,500 fine. And they could face even stiffer fines from the state medical board and lose their licenses. The law also has no exceptions for rape or incest. So you, you're noticing a pattern here of, of, of fuckery. Um, but at least if, if you are a uh, doctor in Ohio that performs an abortion, you don't have to worry about going to jail for 99 years. So silver Yet. lining, I guess. Yet. Okay. Yet. Yeah. Um, uh, y'all might be familiar with the Georgia ban. Um, Georgia has uh, enacted a six-week ban that would take effect unless blocked by a court in January of 2020. The ban does uh, the ban does include an exception in cases of rape and incest. And as the law is written, it requires that the pregnancy is at 20 weeks or less, and an official police report must be filed alleging the rape and or incest. Just a quick point about this Georgia bill, too. Uh, Something that's really crazy is um, 
death rates among women of color in in the process of childbirth yeah are incredibly high in Georgia. And so these abortion bans are literally a matter of life and death for women of color. Yeah. Like when you remove the ability of women of color to have an abortion in Georgia, you're really rolling the dice with whether or not you're going to survive. Yeah. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Hmm. Um, Forced birth extremists embedded in state legislatures in Missouri, Tennessee, Florida, Illinois, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, New York, South Carolina, Texas, and West Virginia have also filed six-week bans. Um, They're all in various stages of debate as of the recording of this episode. Right. And so these bans do a number of things that should strike all of us as concerning. So they make criminals out of those who are seeking legitimate medical procedures. Uh, They put unconstitutional legal pressures on medical professionals performing um, these procedures. They disempower rape survivors. Uh, These bans, the Georgia ban, for example, would subject all people who experience the termination of a pregnancy to criminal liability. Like there is some real confusion about whether or not a woman who miscarries her child after six weeks could be charged with a felony. Um, these bans don't allow physicians to exercise their medical judgment to protect the best uh, and to offer the best care possible in all circumstances. Um, the bans make it both medically and logistically impossible for most women to determine that they are pregnant and arrange for safe legal abortion care in time to beat the six-week deadline. I actually have a, a, a an anecdote concerning this. My wife, when we were pregnant with my son, um, was six well, weeks late. And we tried to go see a doctor because my wife is RH positive. So it's important that she gets in to see a doctor as soon as possible. And the doctor told us that he would not see her until she was 12 weeks late. And so like most physicians will not even see you to run any test if you're six weeks pregnant. Like that doesn't even come up as doctors don't even begin to measure anything, listen for anything. And also there is no heart at six weeks, despite the fact that you can detect something that we're calling a heart yeah, in all these bills. Yeah. Like what, what no they heart. consider, what, what they're calling a heart is, is definitely not what, you know, actual scientists and, and doctors and, and people who are qualified to make these decisions would call a heart. It's, it's, you're, you're barely a Petri dish at six weeks. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Like all, all political terminology <laughs> Uh, surrounding abortion debates, none of it's medical terminology. Like, no. Doctors don't use any of this language. No. Um, so how does the South Carolina bill uh, that just made it through the House compare with um, what we've seen in some of these other states? Um, so the bill passed 70 to 31 along party lines. Um, it's not going to make it to the Senate this session, so the battle's going to take place next year. Um the bill, even though the bill has never made it this far, even though Republicans in the uh, state legislature have tried repeatedly, um, and current law does prohibit abortions in South Carolina at 20 weeks of pregnancy or later, but this fetal heartbeat bill um, is going to ban them at around six weeks, roughly six weeks, which is, like we said, typically the earliest point that a doctor can detect what we're calling a heartbeat, um, even though, like we said, embryos don't have hearts at six weeks. Um, I guess we should probably also mention that the uh, South Carolina fetal heartbeat bill um, does provide a few exceptions um, in cases uh, where the pregnancy endangers the mother's life or physical health, or in cases of rape or incest, the uh, so-called fetal heartbeat ban does not apply, and that is in keeping with current uh, South Carolina law. Um, the I would also like to mention that the uh, original text of the bill did not provide exceptions yeah. for cases of rape or incest. So it would be like, you know, some of the bans we're seeing elsewhere here in the South. Um, Republican Representative Nancy Mace of uh, District 99, so, you know, that's right in our backyard, uh, successfully argued for exceptions for rape uh, and incest to be added to the bill. So think about that. South Carolina Republicans wanted to force you to have your rapist's baby until one of their own party members successfully talked them down. Now, I want to ask everybody who's listening to this episode, does that sound like small government to you? Because it 
doesn't sound like small government to us. But given how committed they are to dumping our money into their culture war and their bullshit laws, there's nothing to suggest that they won't keep pushing this uh, in the 2020 session. Oh, yeah, it's going to be there. It's, this fight is going to happen next year for sure. Absolutely. Um, so we've included a list of the uh, uh, South Carolina six-week ban sponsors um, in the episode description with some contact information. Uh, so we urge you to light up their phones and push back against this bill and future bills, especially if they're up for re-election in a competitive district. Right. We pulled the numbers from just from the South Carolina State House website. It's at sc.statehouse.gov. We definitely encourage everyone to go check it out and see what other options are available for you if you want to contact your representatives um, or get to know more about who they are. You know where they, uh, what their districts are drawn, and what pieces of legislation they've sponsored in the past. An interesting note um, about the demographic demographics of the sponsors of this bill. Um, is that out of the 14 sponsors of the bill, three of them were women. Um, and of course, you know, this brings up some questions on the topic of privilege, intersectionality, race, and class, which are all issues we'll be getting to in the next segment. Um, we're not going to have enough time to get too deep into it in today's episode, um, but stay tuned to Renegade Paradise for more in-depth discussion about this um, in future episodes. So with that said, stick around for segment two, in which we're going to give a socialist analysis of abortion rights and why the SC bill and its ilk are so dangerous. Um, I'm Alfred Peeler. And I'm CJ Bones, and this is Renegade Paradise. Welcome back to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. I'm CJ Bones. And I'm Alfred Peeler. In this segment, we're going to ask, what does a socialist analysis of abortion rights look like? A useful way into this issue is by reflecting on the unpaid labor of social reproduction. Looking at these numbers, the UN has estimates that women's unpaid labor amounts to nearly $10 trillion in U.S. dollars annually. God which amounts to about 13% that is of the a lot annual of unpaid work. GDP. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, this unpaid labor it takes the form of child-rearing and other forms of domestic and care work, work that the capitalist economy depends on, but without offering any remuneration for. Can I, can I just say that, like, that is both... There are a few things that are both, like, utterly shocking and not shocking at the absolute same time yeah. but go on the numbers are big yeah. they're really big and and like it's hard for me to believe that they aren't conservative estimates yeah <clears throat> so um we don't want to say that capitalism invented patriarchal oppression but it did modify it to its own ends in a recent book um called feminism for the 99 percent cincia ruza et al uh write that capitalism's quote key move was to separate the making of people from the making of profit, to assign the first job to women, and to subordinate it to the second, end quote. Um, social reproduction, however, is more than just birthing and raising children. It's um, also put on women to acclimate their children into capitalism's ideological constructs. What this means is that this unpaid labor reproduces all of the elements of a racial caste system, as well as seeking, quote, to enlist women's social reproductive work in the service of gender binarism and heteronormativity. Capitalist societies have encouraged mothers, teachers, and doctors, among others, to ensure that children are strictly fashioned as cis girls or cis boys and as heterosexuals, end quote. It's taken from the same text. Um, and on a, on a note on that, book um it's a very easy read um it brings up a lot of really important issues um in uh, a way that's very uh easy to understand and really concise um and you get three different people and and three different perspectives kind of working together on it so it's mm -hmm. a really solid read so we highly recommend it yeah the authors are great i'm most familiar with nancy fraser and her work is just incredible on uh socialist feminism and marxist feminism highly recommended it's really short too out on verso we can't emphasize it enough. It's super easy to read. Um, so um, along with um, sort of acculturating us into um, 
taking on the roles of care work or exploited labor. Um, social reproduction also depends on passing down certain social mores to prepare children to listen to the boss and to respond appropriately to like patriotic displays up to the point and including fighting in the capitalist classes' wars. Um, these same authors show that, quote, the organization of social reproduction rests on gender. It relies on gender roles and it entrenches gender oppression. End quote. So this lens allows us to see that the bulk of the working class, both domestically and globally, is made up of women, migrants, and racially marginalized communities who are cis, trans, and genderqueer, and who are tasked with socially reproducing both the labor force and the ideological conditions allowing for the extraction of profit. Care workers are the global proletariat. Enforced birth legislation is an attack on working class self-determination. That's well said. Well said, Alfred. Um, and, um, you know, to that end, um, in addition to a generalized class warfare, these laws and the ends that they serve disproportionately attack communities of color and our other marginalized communities. Uh, people of color who already face a lot of barriers to health care and attacks on their body autonomy will suffer the most as these forced birth extremists push harsher and harsher restrictions. Black, Hispanic, and indigenous women experience poverty at more than twice the rate of non-Hispanic white women. Consequently, they disproportionately depend on programs like Medicaid for insurance. Uh, the Hyde Amendment passed in 1976 bars the use of federal funds for abortion with limited exceptions for health concerns for the mother and, only since 1997, rape and incest. This provision represents an especially racialized class warfare by denying bodily autonomy and choice to scores of women of color, migrants, and indigenous persons. Mm -hmm. So when folks from these marginalized communities attempt to exercise body autonomy, uh, despite these barriers, additional complications usually come into play, uh, where outright slavery and servitude may be dismissed by some as relics of the past. Capitalist society has replaced the physical shackles of iron and steel with the metaphorical shackles of debt and wage slavery. The cost of transportation, childcare, and time off work necessary to obtain an abortion more often than not puts access out of reach uh, for many folks from these marginalized communities. So this same economic inequality, um, and this is how we're tying it back into socialism, uh, the same economic inequality that limits abortion options also limits family planning options. So, for example, women of color uh, also have less access to contraception, uh, leading to more unintended pregnancies. Among other reasons, Latina women and non-Hispanic black women are less likely to have access to family planning services, which can result in significantly lower rates of effective contraceptive use. Uh, limited access to health insurance and contraception can both contribute to heightened rates of unintended pregnancies and sexually transmitted infections. Right. And to begin drawing a, a contrast between this sort of socialist analysis of abortion rights and a liberal analysis of abortion rights, I think that there's uh, a tendency on the liberal side to um, view the culture wars, the culture wars, as centering around religious dogma, um, and there definitely is plenty of this. But the forced birth movement's insistence on life is just a ruse at, at best. Um, being anti-abortion does not make you pro-life. Indeed, being anti-abortion doesn't even necessarily make you anti-choice. So the reactionary politics, a way to put this is to say that the reactionary politics behind the American forced birth movement champions the American war machine. They turn their back on migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. They reject health care as a human right. They relish in the ravages of decades of neoliberal economics, they ignore the prevalence of white supremacy and other violent structures confronting our trans and genderqueer neighbors every single day. Yet, this movement declares itself pro-life. Somehow they're pro-life. <laughs> yeah, simply. Somehow. Uh, they're pro-life because they threaten state violence in order to protect unborn fetuses. Oh, sounds, sounds perfect. Brilliant. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 way to, a way to put this that's pretty stark, I think, is uh, to look back to the Bush administration. So... Um, seven months before the Bush administration, the second Bush administration signed the partial birth abortion ban law uh, into law, it invaded Iraq. So it's pretty clear that life is not the issue here. 
Um, any genuine religious sentiment that's present in this forced birth movement is simply a tool of class war. And I mean, this becomes even clearer when we look at who is actually having abortions and why. So far from any anti-life sentiments, 60% of abortions are had by persons who already have children and report the procedure to be in the best interest of their families. Looking at research from the, um, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, the Guttermacher Institute demonstrates Sounds that- Sounds pretty good. <laughs> the Guttermacher Institute demonstrates that financial constraints and duty to dependence, as well as fear of being unable to work and fear of being a single mother dominated the reasons um, that women getting abortions gave. Um, if the forced birth movement were actually pro-life, it would be on the front lines organizing to remove the social and financial pressures that can increase these abortion levels. Boom. But they aren't. Because again, they don't actually care about life. That is not what this is about. That's just the propaganda tag. Yep. Um, and uh, so taking a step back, um, re in reality, abortions are a pretty common, safe, and simple procedure. Um, and this has been verified uh, by many reports um, I'm referencing, uh, in particular, a, a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, the report goes on to say that about 90% of all abortions happen within the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. So any, you know, outrage or, or, or gnashing of teeth that the right had about, um, you know, so-called partial birth abortions, um, not really a common thing. And mm -hmm. when they are, it's generally because you know, the the pregnancy itself is extremely dangerous to the mother, uh, the fetus, or both. Yeah, misrepresenting your target is, uh, that's the way the right rolls. That is a classic maneuver from the right. Um, and uh, consequently, in Georgia, maternal death rates are so bad for women of color um, that the abortion ban is literally a matter <laughs> of life and death. And we had mentioned this earlier on in our conversation. Um, so I wanted to, you know, make that, clear that this is not just a numbers game this is not just like a casual debate like people will die birth um, is more dangerous than abortion and in georgia <laughs> it's a lot more dangerous uh we also know that the 1.4 percent of procedures non-medically labeled late-term abortions are often the result of health risks to the mother like we had discussed earlier mm -hmm. uh recently discovered birth defects um and so on and so forth. Half of these procedures are the result of delays resulting from, guess what? Financial and transportation barriers created by forced birth activists themselves. So you tell me, does that sound like pro-life to you? It doesn't to me. Um, so once we see abortion restrictions as class warfare aimed at denying pregnant parents bodily autonomy, instead of the battle for life it's presented as, it becomes clear that we have a duty not just to protect Roe versus Wade, mm -hmm. but to greatly expand what the right to choose mm -hmm. means. This, at a minimum, includes the following. Free abortions on demand. Free comprehensive reproductive health care and contraception. Economic empowerment that effectively removes all financial pressures to have abortions, as well as free and readily available education uh, and family planning resources. Formal rights to an abortion situated within capitalist marketplaces is no right at all. It's worthless as the paper it's written on. Right on. Uh, DSA National um, actually put out a statement um, shortly before the fetal heartbeat bill was passed in Georgia, um, sort of making a, um, the socialist case pretty clear. So I'm just going to read part of the statement that they put up. Um, so this is a quote from DSA National. The ability to control one's own body is also a central challenge to the logic of capitalism, the patriarchy, and heteronormativity. Capitalism depends on a male and female couple producing babies and on selfless unpaid care in the home to nurture those babies into workers and take care of them later in life when they can no longer produce profit. It's a little a creepy when you break it down, right? Yeah. Um, women are socialized from birth to see our role as performing that work. Interrupting the cycle to exert bodily autonomy is an act of resistance, and building a movement to collectively to collectively demand that right even more so. So when democratic socialists fight to keep abortion legal and for Medicare for All to include abortion, when we fight to expand the food stamps that young families rely on, 
when we fight to protect pensions and social security for seniors. We are fighting for freedom, and we are creating a narrative of collective struggle. And that's why this year, DSA chapters raised over $127,000 for the National Network of Abortion Funds, um, an effort we participated in here in Charleston. Um, And our members organized walkouts and joined picket lines led largely by striking women teachers from West Virginia to Los Angeles. We're not relying on the courts and we're not boycotting Georgia since that is where the people most harmed by all this live, end quote. So like all restrictions on safe and legal abortion, six-week abortion bans are a class issue. Restrictions imposed by fetal heartbeat bills would force low-income people to go to extreme and costly lengths to access abortion safely and legally. When safe legal abortion providers are hundreds of miles away um, and many hours away, people with low incomes will struggle to reach the care they need, if they can even get it at all. I mean, these restrictions are effectively a statewide abortion ban in everything but name, which was exactly the point. And um, I don't know what to say, but great job, Constitution lovers. Yeah, yeah. well done, all you uh, small government fans. You did real good. You did good. Um, so what has been done so far to fight back against this latest round of bills uh, pushed by forced birth extremists? Um, so groups like the ACLU have responded with lawsuits to these new restrictions, and many others have been overturned in court. So that's good. Um, but while this strategy can buy us time, it's ultimately kind of short-sighted. Um, so the right have long ago abandoned any pretense that they are uh, simply seeking to be champions of states' rights. They're not. Um, they What they w- actually want to do is nothing less than completely overturn Roe versus Wade. They want to return to the days of dangerous and painful back alley abortions. They want to throw medical professionals in jail for years uh, for simply providing a critical medical necessity. They want absolute control over the reproductive capacity of a society to guarantee a never-ending supply of obedient workers. So it's critical for us as socialists to understand this long-term goal and react accordingly. Um, So to that end, uh, Charleston DSA has gotten involved with fundraising and putting money and resources directly into the hands of those that need it most. Um, We helped by raising over $1,000 last month for the Carolina Abortion Fund, which serves both North and South Carolina. Um, We're going to continue to put in the work to ensure that anyone who needs an abortion can get one, and we're going to fight like hell to make sure that South Carolina's so-called fetal heartbeat bill never makes it to the desk of the governor. Um, we're going to continue this effort by linking up with like-minded comrades and seeing how we can make our active advocacy uh, more effective in the weeks, months, years, and legislative sessions ahead. As we get into the final stretch of today's episode, we're going to share some direct actions that you can take to protect abortion rights. We will fight their sexist, misogynistic, transphobic, anti-science death cult with our own unbreakable bonds of solidarity. I'm CJ Bones. And I'm Alfred Peeler, and this is Renegade Paradise. Welcome back to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. I'm CJ Bones. I'm Alfred Peeler. Uh, thanks for listening today. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode uh, by sharing some direct actions that you all can take to protect abortion rights and bodily autonomy here in South Carolina uh, and across the country. Uh, bear in mind, this is not a complete list. We are uh, we we always have our ears open. Um, towards any of our comrades in the area that have uh, additional suggestions. So please feel free to reach out to us uh, on Facebook and on Instagram and also info at charlestondsa.org with your own uh, suggestions and experiences as well. Um, So we're just going to dive right in. Um, So one thing that I really like, um, I've been, uh, Alfred and I have been kind of doing a lot of research lately about, you know, what we can do to battle back against this, uh, you know, push against abortion rights here lately. So I uh, found a couple of really cool uh, options. So if you got the funds for it, um, the best solution would probably be to help pay for someone's abortion. So abortion funds like Alabama's Yellowhammer Fund and the National Network of Abortion Funds, which Charleston DSA uh, participated in. Raised over $1,000. Hell yeah, we did. Um, 
these funds help pay for abortions and associated childcare and travel expenses. So um, if you got a little, give a little. If you got a lot, give a lot. Every little bit helps, y'all. Um, you could also uh, offer to host somebody that has an abortion or that needs an abortion. Um, so as restrictions tighten across many states, uh, a lot of people are going to be traveling um, in, in the months ahead, uh, in the years ahead, uh, just to get uh, reproductive health care. So um, I think we need to pay attention to this a lot uh, here in the South and in other states where these rollbacks are happening. And I would encourage some of our comrades that, uh, you know, based on where they're living, have more access to abortions uh, and other uh, reproductive health care options um, to please open up your homes, open up your spaces for those that are going to be traveling uh, to your neck of the woods to get their abortion. And um, um, I think the way we battle back against these rollbacks is solidarity um, and establishing uh, strong networks of mutual aid. Right um, I would also uh, like to bring some... I would also like to bring some attention to uh, uh, some uh, pills on the market. So uh, self-managed abortions are a thing now uh, with the development of abortion pills such as uh, Mifepristone and Misoprostol. I'm not sure if I got those names right. Good job. Sound good. <laughs> they sounded pretty close. Um uh, but self-managed first, trimest uh, first trimester abortions have become much safer. So uh, we can support organizations that are disseminating information and fighting to decriminalize self-induced abortion. Uh, organizations like Women Help Women, uh, Aid Access, uh, the National Institution or the National Institute for Reproductive Health, and If, When, How. Um, so we're going to be putting their information here in the episode description. Uh, if you uh, want to get in touch with them or need uh, some specific help regarding uh, these uh, uh, these these uh, pharmacological solutions, um, we're going to put you in contact with them. Yeah, we also wanted to mention um, uh, two points about electoral politics and abortion. Um, before saying this, though, DSA does engage in electoral work. Um, uh, we do realize that it is, it is an important part of uh, living in democratic society, but it's not the only or even the most important way that DSA prefers to organize, or at least Charleston DSA. Um, we have a, a big space and organization for just mutual aid and direct action. But as far as electoral politics goes, um, one point would be to have us focus on local candidates when it comes to abortion rights. Um, most of the um, obstacles that are put in the way uh, of folks who need abortion are done by states, you know, putting new regulations in place that make it more difficult for um, clinics to stay open, um, or even the laws that are challenging um, Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court, you know, all of these things come from the state. And so really making an effort to support pro-choice politicians at the state level, even at the city, county level, um, probably as important, if not more important than supporting um, federal pro-choice candidates. I think and, you were talking to me earlier about um, there are a bunch of laws on the books, especially down here in the South, about um, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, then... Uh, trigger laws. Yeah, trigger laws. Yeah, so can you um, talk about that a little bit? Yes, this is a, a great example of, or a horrible example, rather of... A greatly uh, horrible <laughs> example. Of... Uh, of states sort of doing everything they can to um, push back against uh, federal precedent and Supreme Court decisions. So there are a number of states that have already passed what are called trigger laws. Um, these are laws that are just on the book that are essentially waiting for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. And as soon as that happens, abortion becomes illegal in all these states. So they're, they're anti-abortion laws like laws that just straight up ban abortion already sitting on state books, just waiting to be triggered by um, uh, the judiciary overturning Roe versus Wade. Um, a second a point, point about electoral politics is that the right can't win elections, um, but they win elections all the time. Um, this is for a variety of reasons. Um, 
gerrymandering, electoral college, and so on. Um, but the strategy that it seems like Republicans are adopting is to take over judiciaries all around the country and to gerrymander districts, but also to push back against voting rights. And so an important part of um, pushing back against attacks on the right to an abortion is to fight for voting rights. Um, a great example of this is um, Georgia. So this, uh, their fetal heartbeat bill was signed into law by Governor Brian Kemp this November or last November. Uh, Kemp barely defeated Stacey Abrams while overseeing an election which systematically disenfranchised Adams voters. Oh, that Adams sounds voters. legitimate. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kemp was in charge of overseeing the election that he was participating in. Um, and there are organizations like Abrams Fair Fight, Let America Vote, and the Grassroots Redistric Redistricting Project, uh, which aim to fight things like racist gerrymandering, um, extreme voter identification laws, voter roll purges, and so on. Um, and it, sh it should be on our minds here in Charleston and in South Carolina that the uh, gerrymandered districts and the attacks on voting rights feed right into attacks on um, the right to choose an abortion. I think a bunch of uh, uh, districts in North Carolina, if I remember right, need to be redrawn now because uh, they were uh, voted as unconstitutional by their Supreme yeah. Court. Well, mm -hmm. before they got their, you know, alleged rapist judge in there. Um, uh, but um, back to your point on uh, pro-choice candidates um, and trigger laws specifically. So I wanted to go ahead and mention that uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Dakota – uh, and South Dakota have already passed similar trigger laws. Uh, uh, and I'm reading off of uh, CBS News here. Uh, four more states, Kentucky, Ohio, South Carolina, and Tennessee, have such legislation uh, dug, dubbed trigger laws in the pipeline. So this was an article from February of this year. So I would imagine that if it hasn't passed through this session, it is probably going to. So like they're getting all of their ducks in a row. Yep. Stack the judiciary and then allow your gerrymandered state and local districts to just feed off of it. That's the strategy when you can't win elections. They can't win. Yeah. They they cheat. Um, so uh, we're about to wrap up this episode. So I want to go ahead and repeat that criminalizing abortions won't actually end abortions. Like it'll just make them increasingly unsafe for working class and marginalized communities. So rich people are not going to stop having unprotected sex. They're just not. And if they end up pregnant, they have the resources to quietly choose whether or not to have a safe abortion. And choice is the magic word here. Yeah. The abortion bans in any state are, are nothing less than a terrorist attack on the part of the wealthy um, white predatory capitalist designed to keep the working class in line by assuring an unending supply of cheap labor born to and raised by folks who have no control over their own bodies, no way to determine their own futures, and no support from the government or the economy that they keep running. So Charleston DSA rejects any and all attempts to institute any forms of bans statewide or otherwise to overturn Roe versus Wade, and we will continue to support abortion access for anyone who needs it, both by building mutual aid and support networks and by helping to elect socialist pro-choice candidates who respect the human right to bodily autonomy. Hell yeah. That's going to be it for us today. Uh, we've got our work cut out for us, uh, so let's get to it. I'm Alfred Peeler. I'm CJ Bones. You'll be good. Victims of oppression for the tyrants be your might. Don't cling so hard to your possessions, for you have nothing if you have no rights. Let racist ignorance be ended, for respect makes the empires fall. Freedom is merely privilege extended unless enjoyed.
trade nor walls of stone. Come greed the dawn and stand beside us. We'll live together or we'll die alone. In our world, poisoned by exploitation, no sooner taken than